Pastor Xavier Reese with this simple truth. He who doesn't bridle his tongue deceives his own heart. When you go home, get in front of the mirror a little later on and look at your face real intently. There are two ears and one mouth. The ratio speaks for itself. But we haven't got the message. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. I tell you, our tongue is something else. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A facade is generally the front of a building's exterior and is often the most expressive from an architectural design standpoint. On a film set, many of the buildings are only facades, giving a realistic impression of what we see in the real world. But all too often, the real world itself is inundated with the facades of people, wanting to hide behind an alternate impression as well. And today, Pastor Xavier delivers a simple truth study titled The Art of Self-Deception, in which he examines followers of God as hearers of the word only, not doers, deceiving only themselves. One day a man went down to get some passport pictures. He went down to the photographer, and he left his address, and they mailed them back to him. When he received the pictures, he was disappointed. He really didn't think that's the way he looked. So he wrote back to the photographer. The photographer uh, wrote back and said that if he wanted to, they could give him some touch-up copies. So he wrote back and said, sure, and he received them both. He went down to get his passport, and when he presented the pictures, the consulate denied the touch-up pictures, and they wanted the reality of himself. The problem is that we always want others to see us as we see ourselves or want to see ourselves. As you look to the world today, it's not hard to see that we've got the uh, technology, that we've got the means, we've got the money, we've got the desire to always live in some unreal world. We get facelifts, tummy tucks, breast implants, um, whatever. Because somehow we're not satisfied with what we are. And so there is a form of self-deception that our whole society is built around. And not only in the plastic surgery area, but, uh, but in everything of life. We, we can create our own world. We have enough education. We have enough means by which to create our own little world, which really just ends up in deceiving ourselves. We really don't need much help in being deceived. We do a pretty good job ourselves. And this is what James talks about here in chapter 1 from verses 16 to 27. He gives us here some of the ways by which believers deceive themselves. And notice that he is talking to Christians. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness 
and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. As we have said, James is a very practical man. And in this section, he gives to us at least three ways by which believers deceive themselves. The central thrust of this passage is that we have the ability to be self-deceived. And so James says that the very first way that Christians deceive themselves is by not understanding the nature of God. For verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James has just finished telling how God uses trials to refine the believer, testings of his faith. And then he has contrasted that to temptations. Temptations are a product of one's own sin nature. That ability to take something and to allow it to lure us and to give in to it, to contemplate it, to intellectualize it, to understand it, and to wholly commit the will to his actions. And therefore, sin is given birth. And you end up with the product, which results in death, as he said. And so he is saying, don't be deceived about God's nature. He uses trials and testings for the good of your development, for your benefit, but God never uses temptations. They don't come from him. They come from sinful man. And so he makes that very sharp distinction, lest man would deceive himself. And yet I'm sure that you can think and you know and you've experienced, perhaps even in your own life, times when you did not understand what God was doing, where he was going with your life, and yet you were prone to say, well, God is kind of responsible for this. I mean, all we have to do is look back to Genesis and God says, what happened, Adam? He said, it's the woman. He said, what happened, Eve? It's the serpent. They were both saying, well, you put us in this garden. You put the serpent. You are the one who created us, so it's really your fault. And if we trace that type of logic back far enough, the one who will result being at fault will be God, according to our estimation. The word deceive is the word in verse 16 to cause to stray or to lead astray or to lead aside from the right path, the right way. It's the very same word that is used by Paul in Galatians 6, 7 where it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see, there's a type of deception that is able to say, Well, you know, I'm not really responsible for this. And somehow I try to bring it back to God is because I do not understand the nature of God. Paul also uses it to the Corinthians. Remember, the Corinthians were very blessed in gifts, but yet they were carnal. 
And Paul reminds them in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters. And he gives a whole list of sins of the flesh and the, and the unregenerate man. And he says, These will not inherit the kingdom of God. One of the greatest deceptions that you can be in, being self-deceived as a Christian, is that you can be in Christ and still be in sin. There's no way. And if you feel comfortable with your sin and you're still in Christ, so you think, then you don't understand the nature of God. You see, God's nature is light. Verse 17 says that. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That means that darkness does not come from Him. Darkness is not compatible with Him. Darkness has nothing to do with Him. And He cannot be the participant of any form of darkness. Now, unless we understand that, we can deceive ourselves in what takes place in our lives. He says every good gift. He underlines it again by saying He gives gifts and not only gifts, but good gifts. And the reference to the word gift there, the first one, is to the act of giving. His very motive, his very intent is goodness behind it. Peter says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. See, that's one of God's attributes, goodness. He says every perfect gift is from above. This word gift is a different one. It speaks of the gift itself, the gift given. Not only is the motive behind it good, but the product that he's giving or working out to bring about is good. I don't always know that. I can't always see that because I am so limited by short-sightedness. I don't have long sight. I can't see far. And so I have to trust God's nature for that. I understand that he can do nothing that is evil. Remember the creation in the beginning? He says in the first day, and it was good. And he saw that it was good. Second day, third day, he got to the end and says, it's very good. That's his nature. His nature is light, goodness. Notice that he says that it comes from the Father of lights. It comes from above. It isn't from the earth. Later on, James will contrast two wisdom that's from above and wisdom that's from the earth. The from above is easy, gentle, easy to be entreated. That which comes from the earth is sensual, corrupt, selfish, partial. Strong contrast that he brings to the believer. You see, now, I, unless I understand the nature of God, I will misunderstand it, and I will try to bring God into my sin. But not only is God's nature life, but God's nature produces life. Look at verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. You see, God brings and gives life. That's what he's known for. And the reference here in verse 18 is to our regeneration, to our being born again. He brought us forth by the word of truth. The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that to as many as received him, to them gave he the authority or the power to become the sons of God. He brought us forth. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.23 that we were born again not by corruptible seed but by incorruptible seed which abides forever. The word of God. We heard the word of God. The spirit of God just made it alive and it brought forth life. God's nature is to produce life. And that is why Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're a religious man. You're a teacher in Jerusalem. But you need to be born again. Because if you're not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. You'll never enter the kingdom of God. By the way, Nicodemus 
was one of Jesus' disciples. Read the end of the gospel. But see, that's his nature. And so we have to be real careful that we don't accuse God of things that are not according to the revelation of God in Scripture. Now God begets us that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures, he says there. It isn't just to keep you from hell. It isn't just because you're so neat. Certainly I don't fit that requirement. And yet, somehow we think that God has saved us just for ourselves at times. We may not say it, but we say it by the way we live. The reference to first fruits goes back to the Old Testament. In the law, they were to give God their first fruits. It has the idea of the best, that which was best, the gift to God. Just a portion of all that God had given to them. Second of all, it was a action upon their part to give God their first fruits, whether it be of their harvest or anything, as a promise of God that he would guarantee the rest of the harvest. And so we are God's first fruits as a guarantee of all those who will come after us, through us, as we minister the gospel to those who do not know Christ. He hasn't simply saved us to sit. I've told you often that I can get pillows to warm up the pews. I was at a men's retreat just Friday night down in San Diego with 1,100 men. And uh, Greg Laurie was sharing somewhere along that line. He said that um, we have turned into pew potatoes. <laughs> and uh, I like that phrase. That's part of our problem. We're so fat spiritually, we can't get out of the pew. And sometimes we're saying, well, listen, I go to studies, man, I pray, I am involved, I do this. But there's still something wrong. You know what's wrong? You're not reproducing yourself the most exciting thing that I experience always on an ongoing basis apart from being born again has seen others come to Christ through my own instrumentality when's the last time you led somebody to Christ have you ever led anybody to Christ boy I'll tell you it'll kindle your fire it'll blow your mind it'll just do things for you that no study will ever do and if you're not careful and churches do this if you're not out there sharing the gospel and bringing people to Christ, you know what happens? You turn inward and you start complaining about what is not here, what is here, what is not here, who's not there, what's going on. And so we don't have time for the work of God, so therefore we have to become critics of God. And it's very, very dangerous. Now man's needed response is found in verses 19 through 21. If he truly understands the nature of God. Verse 19 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The word therefore means knowing this or this you know. You see, knowledge brings a responsibility. There's a response. God is not teaching us, instructing us just for us to tuck away knowledge. Do not confuse knowledge and wisdom. They're two separate things as day and night. You may have a lot of knowledge concerning Bible studies, the scriptures, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wise in your decisions. And God is concerned that we manifest wisdom, and, and part of this wisdom is 
is here, first of all, in being swift to hear. It has an idea in the reference to quick or speedily. That we would understand and value the word of God that as we hear it, we are, we are quick to pay attention to it. We are quick to mark it down. We write it down to make sure we don't forget it. We make a point that I'm going to do something about this. It's not like just coming in for a sermon and having it go off my back like water off a duck's back. You see, part of the problem with the church today is that sin doesn't bother us and neither does the word. You know what position that puts us in? The church of Laodicea. Lukewarm. And Jesus says, I'll spit you out. And sin doesn't bother you. And the word doesn't bother you. You're in trouble. You see what I mean about James being very practical? Secondly, he says slow to speak. Now he's not talking about the rate of your vocabulary, how fast it's coming out of your lips. He's talking about thinking before you speak. Not being so quick to respond. We've all experienced it, you know. We, before the person's even done or even begun talking, we already want to talk back. As they're telling us the information, we really can't understand or grasp the information because I'm thinking of what I'm going to tell him because he doesn't know. He's an airhead, but wisdom resides with me. And when I die, it'll all be gone. And so this is what James is saying. And therefore, third of all, we're supposed to be slow to wrath. You see, the wrath demonstrates the source. It's me, not God. Whenever I don't understand things, I get frustrated. Sometimes I get mad. It shows me that I'm not hearing. And I'm talking too soon and I end up in wrath. I'm not understanding the nature of God. That's in me. The divine nature. Let me just give you some Proverbs that will... Kind of emphasize the thing about the tongue. James is going to talk to us. Turn to Proverbs chapter 10. And just put your finger there. But James will give you a full chapter on the tongue. And he'll really nail us when we get there. But by the way, he does mention the tongue in every chapter one time. I got a feeling that James really had a problem with people in the church regarding the tongue. In Proverbs 10, 19. He says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Underline that. The more you talk, the more chance that you're going to sin. When you go home, get in front of the mirror, and we'll get into the mirror a little later on, and look at your face real intently. There are two ears and one mouth. The ratio speaks for itself. But we haven't got the message. God put it right in front where we can't miss it. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 13, verse 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. How often you and I have opened our big traps, and, and man, we've, we've eaten crow. Crow doesn't taste good, does it? How often do you wish you could grab those words that are going out of your mouth? How often you thought you were so wise and you're saying, yeah, but you know, and then further information comes in and you want to crawl under the carpet. It's terrible. Chapter 15, verse 1. He says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We've got a rule in our house we don't allow anybody to tear down anybody 
character-wise. And my children are at that stage where they kind of do this very natural. And so when they say something negative about anybody, they have to find some two things positive to say about them. And we were having breakfast, and over the breakfast table we were discussing, and Mandy kind of hurled out something that wasn't of the best and kind of smart to her mother. And uh, she knows the rules. And as Trudy just looked up, and she was just hot. And she saw that look, and Mandy goes, You have pretty earrings, and your hair sure looks nice, Mom. <laughs> the biggest smirk came over Trudy's mug. And Trudy goes, You know, the word of God sure is true. A kind word sure turns away wrath. I tell you, our tongue is something else. But fourthly, in verse 21, he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Lay aside the reference of phrases used as taking a, a coat off, a garment off. If I understand the nature of God, if I understand that I'm a child of God, then I must lay aside certain things. The filthiness and overflow of wickedness, it speaks of that which soils the body and, the, and clothes, the word is used for. That which defiles my relationship with God, that which defiles my relationship with man. I put it aside because I have the ability and I have no desire. Not that I don't have the ability, I do have the ability. But I get to choose. But on the positive side, I receive the engrafted word. The implanted word of God. I receive it. The phrase implanted gives us the concept of going back to Matthew 13 where the parable of the sower. You know, a farmer went out and sowed seed and some fell by the wayside. They were plucked up by the enemy. Others fell on rock and they didn't have any root. Others fell on weeds and choked them out. But some fell on good soil and brought forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. You see, I have to open my heart that the Word of God would be rooted in me and that it would grow, not just put it in my brain because that doesn't mean it's going to grow. It's supposed to be alive. It's supposed to be producing. It's supposed to be glorifying Jesus Christ. This is the positive side. Too often, such is not the case. You know, it's like a person who comes to studies. I am always amazed at this. I mean, they're there all the time. They're involved in ministry. And yet, they become unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Boyfriend, engagement, marriage. And then they try to blame God for it. Well, God brought that person to me. When everything goes wrong, wait a minute, it's inconsistent with God's nature. God is not going to bring a non-believer to pollute you. He says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And yet how often we want to drag God into our sin. This happens all the time within the church of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be careful lest we try to drag God into our sin and blame Him. We don't understand the nature of God, therefore we're self-deceived. God only gives to us that which produces life and abundant life. That which is good. Pastor Xavier Reese 
has been providing some apt examples for the various ways our unfaithfulness disobeys the Word of God. And there's more to come next time. But if you've missed any part of today's message, you can hear it again anytime online. Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Or if you prefer, you can always pick up your own personal copy on CD for just $4. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Art of Self-Deception. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Art of Self-Deception, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com